Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Renee! Renee! <laughs> Where's Minnie this morning? Oh, I actually, I have no idea. Where? She's in Toowoomba. Oh, okay. She didn't tell me, um, but she did say I'd be on with you this morning. Well, we are so glad you are here, Renee. How Thank are you? you? How are you feeling this morning? Um... I I, I had a few mind blanks this morning, but I'm doing well. (laughs) So this is uh, that that kind of little pause and giggle there was a little bit telling. Maybe slightly earlier morning than uh, yesterday morning? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Well, we're super glad that you're here. What are you thankful for this morning? Oh, okay. Uh, what I'm thankful for... I Can you go first? Um, I was going to let you go first. It gave me time <laughs> to, to think of something because... Well, I, I'll, I'll have one. I have a very general one. Yes. Um, but it's something I am thankful for this morning. Driving up, I, I did see the sunrise and it blinded uh, me for a second. Yes. <laughs> that, it will do that at this time of year. You're driving certain directions and you're on breakfast radio. That's amazing. I'm thankful for glass. Glass. Okay. Yes, Can glass. Elaborate. Okay, well, think about why would you not be thankful for glass? Glass. Uh, I guess they're great to hold, you know, stuff in. like. Flowers. Ah, not glasses, although I am thankful for glasses, as in a glass. That, yes. I'm thinking for glass like in a window. Oh, oh. Now, just imagine a world where window glass did not exist. Well, then we would either have like just windowless windows, which yes, everything would come bugs, in. Rain, yeah, windows, no or we would, or we would live in the dark. In the dark, that's right. Or and, and driving around in car, you'd be just eating bugs. Ugh. <laughs> so yeah, open your mouth to to uh, say a word, and boom, in goes a bug. <laughs> such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing, but it's amazing. What yeah. an amazing, and it's just it's, it's a liquid made from sand. Oh, there you go. Look at that. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, let's talk about positively different news. Yes, indeed. Okay, so our first story um, talks about Christmas coming a bit early. I know Christmas is next week, but it came a bit early for some people. Um, And I guess going through the stories... um, it's really shown that a lot of people have been taking on, I guess, being very generous and just reaching out to their community. Um, and it's not about them. It's really about just uh, meeting people's needs and being really kind. This man, he is acting as a real secret Santa, gifting upwards uh, $500,000. Oh, wow. That's a that's a decent gift. A big amount of money. And he still remains, uh, he wants to remain anonymous. And this man is in America, but he works with the, I believe it's called the E-News. So basically... Um, the first recipient of of some of uh, of his gift, um, a woman called Diane Baldman, and she's sixty five years old. Now, with Diana, um, every morning, early in the morning, Diana and her husband um, they deliver newspapers across Idaho, and they do it in a van. Uh, they go all across the city, and this van has over three hundred and eighty six. A thousand kilometers on it, so quite a <laughs> quite a lot of yeah, kilometers. yeah, yeah. That's a lot of k's. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Where's American story? Is that k's or miles? I've converted it. Oh, you so, converted it. Yes, okay. All right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> on your toes this morning. 
Um, so after she's done that in the morning with her husband, she goes to her full-time job and she works at McDonald's, Macca's, where she does her full-time job. Um, and she hopes to obviously re- retire in a few years. She is 65 years old, but for now she has to work, especially because her husband, Cameron, is on disability. So it is up to her to provide for, for Okay, wait, 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 wait. So she's, she's got a husband who's on disability. Yes. She's working full-time at Macca's. Yes. She's working in, uh, in charitable work with a van that has nearly 400,000 Ks on it. That's right. And everybody who's owned anything with that amount of Ks on it knows that this is something that you are regularly fixing. That's exactly it, yes. And she wants to retire. She wants to retire. She's got a lot on her plate. She's got a lot on her plate. Um, She's got a full-on Christmas and I guess a life right now. Like you said, they've constantly been fixing their van, um, but it, it just keeps on breaking down. And I think that I don't know much about cars, but that sounds a bit... That sounds normal. I mean, when the car gets to that stage of its life, it needs constant fixing. So um, this secret Santa gifted Diana at her work while she was at work with um, $1,000 of gift cards in fuel, $1,000 for car registration and a brand new car for her and her husband just to help a little bit out um, with 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 uh, everything she's doing she's got a lot she's doing so that was a really good story uh, a good christmas gift to this lady from a secret santa in america so we love hearing um about awesome you know awesome stuff that's happening and it's a question i think that we can all ask ourselves this christmas is who can we be a secret santa for yeah, true there's going to be somebody we know somebody in our community somebody that we know about yeah who's deserving of you know some secret santa gifts maybe it's a child who's disadvantaged. Maybe it's somebody like this who's an older person who is also disadvantaged. Yeah. There are lots of opportunities to be – maybe it's, you know, uh, people in a developing country that you can Mm -hmm. uh, help out um, at this particular time of year. I know my parents don't really have a big Christmas. They've Mm. they've, – in recent years they've been like, yeah, you know what, we don't need to have a big Christmas and, you know, spend lots of money and have lots of people around and all that kind of stuff. And so they find good causes to donate to at Christmas time. And I think that's just a great thing to do. I I love that. I'm here for that. Yes. Um, Furthermore, with more Christmas stories, um, this story is actually about a 62-year-old pastor at Grace and Glory Church um, in in Western Australia. Actually, he experienced some a random act of kindness during Christmas. Um, Basically, he had a pretty hard upbringing. He was partially deaf, deaf, blind in one eye, and he had a stutter. And so he said his upbringing was pretty rough, pretty tough. And so when he was 18 years old, he felt isolated. He decided he was going to go on, you know, I guess a trip, a road trip, so to speak, but for himself and just to go out and find a place for himself in this world. And I think it got he got to a low point where he, he came to a town and he was just feeling really lonely, actually. It was Christmas Eve. He slept on a bench and at a park and he saw a mother with her two children there and um you know basically they they invited him over to have to have um to have christmas i mean uh, dinner at his uh, christmas lunch and he said he said no i'm i'm not part of your family and she said yes yes you are and so he came over and because of that um this man he found his steve marshall he really this kind of transformed his way, in, I guess, doing ministry in a sense that every Christmas he holds a lunch at his church for the lonely during Christmas. The that's lonely nice. and isolated people during yeah, Christmas. Yeah, that's amazing. And this started in 1977, so quite a while ago. That's been going for a long time. So it's been, it's been a very long time. In 1977 I was, let me think. I think 45 years ago. 
I was five years old. Okay. <laughs> and I'd say that you weren't around. No, you I wasn't even not. even dreamt of. <laughs> no. In 1977. No, I came about 20 years later. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so yeah, he's been hosting this lunch now in Albany, where he is since uh, 2005. You know, after moving um, to anyone who's alone. So I guess if you're alone and you're in Albany, feel free to go over to um, Steve Marshall's community centre. So, yeah, that's that's just... Albany's a great little town. I've done some uh, ministry in Albany uh, from time to time down there on the south coast of Western Australia. Beautiful spot. Just, um, yeah, if you ever get a chance to go visit. And I guess, you know what, there's probably been a, be a few people are travelling around Australia at the moment. Uh, it seems that, you know, caravan companies aren't able to keep up with the demand right now because everybody's deciding to go on holiday here in Australia. And if you are in Western Australia or heading to Western Australia, a um, few restrictions now that there's another COVID outbreak in Sydney, of course, but um, yeah, maybe don't go down there and give this guy in, in Albany, give him a bit of support for his um, Christmas program where he is making just life better for just general people. And also, like, I guess I, I definitely invite people over for your Christmas lunch if you can. Um, anyone who's feeling lonely, you know, and who people who don't have family close by because, you know, travel restrictions in Australia. Really yes, I think you. I think this is a great opportunity for us as Australians to appreciate our own country. And, of course, you know, uh, I think Liam's pretty excited we're talking about Western Australia because that's where he comes from. But <laughs> Tasmania is still the promised land. Just sliding that in there. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we have, as we have had every day this week, um, an, an extra Shuttleworth in the studio. So Liam Shuttleworth, is who is our producer, he's had his family here. He has... Five brothers. There are six of them in total. He's brought one each day. And Brody, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, going well, going well. Good to have you here, uh, Brody. You're the uh, you're, you're the second oldest, right? That so we've had some rather young uh, assistant co-hosts here. But uh, Brody, you're what nineteen or something? Yeah, I'm nineteen. Turned it in August. And you're studying at the moment? Yeah, I'm at uni in uh, up north of Cairns, studying engineering and IT. Engineering and IT, that's very cool. What do you plan to do with that at this stage? Um, I, there's a lot of different things that I've been looking at. over. Like while I was in high school, I was looking more into the aeronautical engineering sort of space. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Very interesting. Oh, be interesting to see where it all goes for you. Yes. All right, let's go to some health subjects. Uh, the first one is um, coming out of our local area right here in Newcastle where the police union has slammed the relaxation of late-night liquor laws in Newcastle. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, so uh, late-night liquor, liquor laws came in in 2008 Yeah. so that after 10 o'clock you don't get to sell alcohol. Good. <laughs> yes, very good thing. It's recently been relaxed. And, um, you know, there's there's a number of different venues around the place that have uh, received licenses to be open later and longer and sell alcohol later and longer. And so um, the police union is very, very upset about this because when those laws came in in 2008, it reduced assaults in Newcastle 
Seventy percent. Wrap your head around that for a moment. And the, and and the police, of course, you know, they would naturally be thinking, okay, well, if you're going to relax the late night liquor laws, then where are you going to get the seventy percent extra policing and funding for that and staffing for that? You know, to be able to handle the extra assaults and damage, and where are you going to get the extra staff for you know the the medical centres and for the hospitals and the emergency rooms? And how are you going to shorten those emergency room lines? You know, etc. 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 There's a whole carryover. Once you change a couple of small little laws right here, um, and of course some of the staff have said that, well, you know, we felt embarrassed when we had to close off at ten o'clock, so we should be allowed to open longer. And then there were some some customers who's like saying, well, we feel offended that you know people are saying that we don't know how to drink responsibly. Well, you know what? I don't really don't care whether you feel embarrassed or offended. Both of those things that you can get over. And these are this is people's safety at hand. Yes. Um, like that, that, your feeling of embarrassment will pass. It will You'll pass. You'll get over you it. You will get over this. You will, and others are like, well, you know, we need to have sympathy for, you know, the business owners and so forth that are trying to struggling to survive. You know, it's a little bit like trying to have sympathy for James Hardy. You know, the, the, the asbestos producer. <laughs> Alcohol is a class one carcinogen. Yeah. It's ruining families. Yeah, I, I mean, I do have sympathy for people that are involved in that industry and sort of are not seeing uh, an easy way out of it, but I think that a moral person should choose to get out of that industry if you're in it because this is an industry that is destroying lives, it's tearing families apart, it is poisoning people because alcohol is a toxin that is poisoning people mm-hmm. and uh, find something else to do. Yeah, Human beings are very, very smart, intelligent creatures and we can find alternative ways of making money. Can I ask this law? Is it? Do you think you'll be um, like, I guess, reinforced again, or is it relaxed? Well, to it be seems that to way? be uh, the uh, the government in New South Wales is sort of pushing to do this, you know, kind of right across the board uh, everywhere except for Kings Cross. This honestly sounds. <laughs> this is my opinion, but it just sounds like a financial like just game. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, it's exactly no what it is. So the, the so the New South Wales. Um, government has taken a well the the, New, the state of new south wales has taken a hard hit because of covid uh, our economy is kind of down the tube and it's like well how do we get the economy going back again we've got to get people spending money uh, alcohol is an addictive drug once people get involved in that they will keep going back for it so we get them involved in an addictive drug we open the the, the shops later more people are going to be spending money that means that there's going to be more assaults that means that there's going to be more people who are going to hospital that means that there's going to be more jobs for nurses and doctors. Uh, there's going to be more jobs for counsellors and social workers. And it is just a way of making – it's just purely financial. I mean, it gives jobs, but it doesn't progress us as a society. It costs. It costs. This is the thing. This is not productive yeah, money. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a difference between money circulating and it suddenly looking good on the books for the government. Yeah, but it's not productive money. It's actually incredibly destructive money. And in the long term, yeah, the cost is phenomenal. It's not just financial <laughs> that you're paying. That's right. Even even just the financial cost yeah. becomes phenomenal phenomenal to the economy. But Indeed. if you want a short-term fix, so you're like, yeah, we did a great job and we need to be re-elected this year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, mm. moving on from uh, one drug to another, let's go on to vaping. There are about half a million vapors in Australia. There are about two and a half million people who have tried it. And the Therapeutic Goods Administration plans to make it illegal to import 
nicotine fluid. Okay, so you can get lots of different kinds of fluid for vaping, and they're saying we're going to make uh, the importation of nicotine fluid illegal. So at the moment, it's illegal to sell nicotine fluid in Australia, except for, I think, South Australia. Uh, But it's not illegal to import it, (laughs) which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So you can jump online. It's like, I'll just buy some of that off eBay or Amazon or whatever, and it arrives at my doorstep. I just kind of go down the street and buy it. Yeah. Well, you know what? We kind of buy everything off of um, online anyway. Mm. So how is that different? So I guess they're being um, consistent mm-hmm. here. Uh, okay, so in South Australia, so it's, no, it's illegal across Australia. In South Australia is the only state in which it is not illegal to possess nicotine vaping fluid without a doctor's certificate. However... This is not something that is policed and so therefore is not something that really um, yeah. happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Health Minister Greg Hunt tried to bring in this ban mid-year. Uh, it has been delayed. Hopefully it will go through this time. Um, prohibition is about the only thing that has ever been seen to successfully work with uh, these kind of drugs and so forth. Now, um, the fine, if you get caught importing nicotine fluid, $220,000. That's pretty significant. Yeah. And, of course, one of the things that Greg Hunt pointed out is that uh, a lot of people are just swapping cigarettes for uh, e-cigarettes and the new research that's coming out is showing that if you are smoking nicotine-based e-cigarettes, it's really not that much better, if any better at all, and that mm. there is no safe use of nicotine in any way, shape or form. The problem is that there are only 14 doctors who are registered to prescribe nicotine-based vaping. So they're looking at uh, putting it on a prescription-only basis, and and I think that's reasonable. Uh, There are lots of drugs that are on a prescription-only basis that you would not want to take long-term, but that you need to take short-term for uh, whatever reason that might be. And we do want to see people getting off of nicotine. And if this can be used to help people get off of nicotine, then you know we need to have all of the uh, tools in our arsenal that we possibly can. The question that goes through my mind is this, is why not just ban smoking? <laughs> I, wouldn't that be just easier? I mean, smoking is does seem to be a bit worse than vaping, so just start there. Start with, yeah. Uh, one of the main ingredient, ingredients, by the way, for uh, main components for uh, e-cigarettes is glycerol. Imagine putting that stuff in your body. Um, smoking glycerol, uh, indistinguishable. The, the 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 results are indistinguishable from high nicotine and tar cigarettes. So it's lethal stuff. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, Renee, we have Eliza joining us on this phone this morning. Eliza is a historian. Eliza Ma, welcome to the show. Great to be on, Lyle. And great to be on with you, Renee. Oh, thank you so much. Eliza, um, we're going to be talking about you know Australian history again today, and Australian mm-hmm. history is often not seen as being, well, it's not really seen as being very religious in nature, but we're going to look at a couple of individuals and we're going to sort of see mm-hmm. where this uh, takes us. But we're going to start off, I understand, talking about a fellow by the name of Wentworth. Who are we talking about here? That's right. We're talking about a man by the name of William Charles Wentworth. He was an Australian explorer. He was a journalist. He was also a politician and an author. And he lived, he was born in 1790 and he lived all the way through to 1872. Um, and he was really a 
a leading figure in um, the early history of Australia, um, especially the colony of New South Wales. So how was um, it that he came to Australia in the first place? If he's born in 1790, I'm sort of thinking he's probably mm-hmm. born in the UK. Well, you could very easily make that assumption. Um, but actually, no, he was born in Australia. He was one of the very first native-born Australians or um White, white Australians. Uh, that's white Australians. Sorry, native-born is how they refer to themselves. Um, but but he was he was one of the first um, white Australians to be born in in the country. Um, but he also developed a reputation overseas. So he travelled to and from England. But the reason he was born in Australia was, and maybe you're guessing this around about now, his parents had convict heritage. And so his father was um, an aristocrat who had uh, done a bit of highway robbery in England to pass the time of day. I don't know. Um, he, uh, he wasn't poor, but he, had, uh, he was a bit of a scallywag. And in order to avoid um, a further conviction for highway robbery, he chose to come to Australia instead. And so he wasn't technically a convict, but... He basically was. And then on the ship coming over, he met um, a 17-year-old girl, Catherine Crowley, who was absolutely a convict. And um, William Wentworth was born not long after. Okay, so this is a really interesting story. You know, as I'm, as I'm putting this whole thing together, um, I'm seeing people here who, you know, you've got, a young girl who is a convict, you've got an aristocrat who's going around doing crime for entertainment. Mm. These don't seem to be particularly savoury characters. No, not at all. And in fact, um, it was such an unsavoury look that William Wentworth grew up not having any idea that his parents had been convicts or at least his mother had been a convict. And so he came to a very rude realisation one day when he was um, courting one of the uh, daughters of the most illustrious um, landowner in New South Wales, uh, the daughter of um, John MacArthur. And he was courting her and then um, he had an argument with her father and, and we presume that it was over his heritage. Um, and he broke with them, he left her, he had nothing to do with them again and he went through a massive identity crisis because after realising that he had convict heritage, it was such a stain on your reputation to be associated with with anything like a, a convict um, uh Convict background. Hello. Hello, Eliza. I think we may have lost Eliza there. She has suddenly, her phone has just suddenly disappeared. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what is going on right there. Um, let me see. Well, we'll Am see. I back now? Oh, yes, you're back again. You're back again. Welcome oh, back. fantastic. Sorry about that. <laughs> what happened there? Was that your phone or ours? Uh, that might have been my reception. Right. Okay, so. I'm going to fix a bit. Yeah, you are you are starting to break up. You were coming through so clearly just a moment ago and now you're sort of starting to break up all over the place. Are you still with us or not? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think we're kind of struggling to uh, to get Eliza on the phone right here. Just as it was starting to get super interesting, I was, um, <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, really getting into that story. Eliza, I can hear you. I'm still with you. Okay, good, good. All right, let's pick up this story. So we've got this this guy. He comes from a a somewhat unsavoury background, and he becomes very influential in Australia. Um, That's right. And he's part of this generation of, I guess, uh, British people who are born in Australia and for whom uh, the season's being backwards, having trees that lose their <laughs> their bark instead of their leaves is normal, um, that for them England is probably a cold, wet, damp place um, and is used to a different colour green than what they have in England. So, mm. so he's part of this generation and they were, you know, a little bit different from the uh, – from the convict generation and also the other, you know, the free settlers and so forth that came to Australia. How is mm. it with the background that he has? I guess you, you mentioned that it's been, you know, it was very much covered over, uh, but he becomes mm. a very influential person. Well, probably being transported to Australia as convicts was one of the best things that happened to his parents. Uh, his father turned around completely. He um, gained a reputation as the most reliable and trustworthy person in the colony. And uh, his mother was a very dutiful wife, which at the time meant that um, she didn't have her name in the papers and um, she took good care of her children. And so William Wentworth actually grew up with um, a, a solid foundation um, despite his convict origins. Now, you mentioned that his parents met on the ship on the way over. Were they married on the ship or married when they arrived? Or did uh, um, William just arrive? Well, William just ar- arrived. Um, they married after they um, disembarked. Right. So, which, which was very common at the time, I think. We, we tend to have a, an idea of the past and of the 1800s and 1700s especially that um, everyone had Victorian morality. Um, but, yeah, that wasn't the case at all. And, but well, this, he, was, he this, was, this was pre, pre-Queen Victoria anyway, I guess, but... Uh... Yes, yes. Uh, it still would have, I guess, you know, being an illeg- illeg- illegitimate child, if that was, you know, in some sectors of society in uh, the UK or Europe or whatever, that would have been looked down upon, but obviously something that, um, you know, he's certainly able to rise, rise above here in Australia. And it looks like... It would have been absolutely... Yeah, go ahead. And it would have <laughs> been looked down upon by his father's family as well. Yes. Um, but I think the chaplains at, at the time would have been dealing with so much that um, once they saw a stable, non-abusive relationship, they wouldn't have worried too much. Um, they wouldn't have fought that battle. Um, even though I'm sure uh, the chaplains that were sent over on the first fleet, there were... Um, given hundreds of Bibles to distribute at their discretion, um, even though I'm sure they would have had an opinion, because uh, the Bible clearly has an opinion. Um, but they, um, it, it was of little enough importance that his parents could uh, smudge that part of their history over um, quite fully. Mm. 
Wentworth goes on to become a very influential person um, in Australia, particularly in New South Wales, uh, William Wentworth. Um, can you just take us through briefly th- his history and some of the, um, I guess, major high points and the impact that he has, uh, particularly on New South Wales? Mm-hmm. So um, in 1813, uh, Wentworth crossed the Blue Mountains with Gregory Blackland and William Lawson um, he led the expedition and he found a route across the Blue Mountains um, out, out of Sydney um, into the inland in South Wales, which was uh, then used for grazing. And um, that pasture land in New South Wales, he was the first explorer to do that. And um, that was, he was. And we're losing Eliza again. It's a fun time when you, <laughs> <laughs> when your expert is out in the sticks somewhere. Uh, Eliza, do we have you back yet? No, we don't have her back yet. One of the things that I find interesting about some of these um, early Australian characters, and one of the things that I want to really want to uh, explore with Eliza, is how Australia developed into a more secular society than the UK. Now, I think the UK is definitely caught up. Oh, and there she's gone altogether. Let me try, let's see if I can get her back on the phone. Um, we'll see what we can do right here. Um, but, you know, the early history of Australia does seem to have moved faster into secular, secularism mm. than um, our colonial country. Yeah. Now, I guess for you, Renee, you would probably see the opposite of that where in the South Pacific, mm-hmm. um, the history of the South Pacific would be, you know, I, I guess, you know, some of the first things that, you know, that the colonial powers or, you know, so forth would bring would be Christianity. Exactly, yeah. Uh, whereas for us, the first thing that we brought was criminals. That's an interesting perspective. You're absolutely right. I didn't uh, think of it in that way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Eliza, do we have you back yet? Do you? Am I back? I think you are. I think you are. Um, we are starting to run out of time here. Um, and we did want to, and just while we were trying to get you back on air, we were having a, a bit of a conversation about the development of Australia. Tell me about Wentworth's um, religious background. And we've lost Eliza again. Hello? Oh, no. I really liked what she was sharing. Yeah, I know. And she had such, such amazing uh, material that she was going to be sharing with us. Uh, right here. Um, uh, do you think? Um, oh, I think we're getting her back. Yeah, we're, we're endeavouring to do so. We'll see what happens. <laughs> do you think Wentworth Falls is named after? Him? Yes, it is. Oh, okay, absolutely. That's- Wentworth Falls in the Blue Mountains and uh, the town of Wentworth, uh-huh. uh, because as Eliza was saying, they he was um, an explorer. Yeah, they they discovered the crossing of the Blue Mountains. Uh-huh. Okay, Eliza, back again. I'm back. Okay, very quickly, <laughs> we've got a little bit of time left. Uh, Wentworth's right. religious background. Wentworth was very careful around religion. There were people in his time that really politicized religion for their own ends. And so he was careful not to associate himself too strongly, especially with the established church. Um, He had his own Christianity. He saw his exploration work particularly as a way that um, God, he felt a calling to bring order to the world. And while that might have been misplaced, I think it does show that he felt a responsibility toward God in what he should do with his life. Okay, so that aspect of um, 
him sort of, I guess, not you know, seeing the politicalization of Christianity, uh, and of course that was heavily, um, you know, part of the establishment. You're dealing with the establishment of a of a new nation, so to speak, mm. um, and so politics is going to be just I- I- immense in everything that is taking place. Um, yeah. Do you think that his reaction to religion was similar to a lot of people's reaction in Australia at that particular time? Or was this unique to I, him? In, in Australia at the time, the Bible was ever-present in cultural references, in the phrases people used. In uh, It was so embedded in the English language that um, even convicts came over um, with tattoos of fools make mock at sin or prepare to meet by God or... Um, Things like that. So the Bible was certainly very present, um, but um, convicts, of course, had a complicated relationship with authority, and that mm. carried over into their relationship with the church. Sure. Now, the convicts that were coming over, um, you know, obviously a lot of them are criminals, many of them very, very petty mm-hmm. criminals, but criminals nonetheless. Yeah. Um, were these people who had a religious background, or were they people who had turned away from God, generally speaking? That's very hard to say. Um, most people at the time considered themselves Christian, and um, certainly at, at the time there weren't census. There isn't census data for us to look back on. Um, I think, well, in in eighteen fifty, about half the population of the UK went to ch- um, went to church regularly, um, and so we can kind of guess from that that probably a lot of them. Th- thought of themselves as Christian but weren't regular church attenders. Um, but it's very hard to say. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've got slightly off track and we've run out of time, unfortunately, uh, because we did have a lot of trouble with uh, your signal out there. But I just want to say that that uh, bird that is calling there in the background is just a, uh, a beautiful touch. Um, it sounds so amazing right now and it's just making me feel happy this morning. We're going to have to move on, uh, Eliza, and uh, we will uh, welcome you back again in the new year to continue talking about Australia and Australian history, the impact of uh, Christianity and the various uh, individuals that shaped our country. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.